Hi, you've called the Mojo Radio Show. We can't come to the phone right now because we're about to start the show. But please, wait for the tone and the boys will be with you shortly. I got my mojo working, but it just won't work on you. G'day everybody and welcome to the Mojo Radio Show. This week a very special episode, well I think it's special. Gary is uh, off on the road, riding around the uh, the southern parts of Australia for the Tour de Cure. So um, I've been left to my own devices, but um, not being one to enjoy much of my own company, I thought that I should probably get someone to, uh, to, to co-host with me, so um, he might give us a bit of a hint as to who that is. Revitalist. Ooh. Oh, I know that voice. AP, it must be you. It is I. It is me, indeed, yes. Not unusual surrounds for you, mate. Welcome to the Mojo Show again. Thank you very much. Good to be back. Um, I'm sitting in the chair of the, uh, well, I was going to say the big man, but he's actually quite small. Yeah, that's right. Um, it's a bit stinky, that chair, too. Yeah. It's a bit stinky, yeah, because he always rides his bike in here. That's the problem. Yeah, yeah, I can sort yeah. of, it's kind of like a weird sort of sweaty chamois smell. <laughs> So how are you anyway, mate? What have you been up to? Um, same old, same old, really. Just mm. um, voiceovering and um, stuff like that. Walking on the beach, taking the dogs for a run. L'Oreal. L'Oreal still still paying the bills, are they? L'Oreal. We, I love L'Oreal. Yeah. And of course, um, as the uh, network voice for Channel News Asia out of Singapore, which is um, a great gig. It's a I didn't know gig. that about you. There you go. I learn something uh, new every day. There you go. Yeah. And uh, I heard you on something else the other day. Where did I hear you? Uh, Triple M in Melbourne, did I hear you? Is that right? Uh, yeah, you will hear me mm. doing, well, Triple M Digital, their, their digital yep. station. And yep. also, um, if you're in Adelaide, the 1047 Classic Triple M, mm. uh, the station voice for that. And, right. yeah. So, folks, if you, um, if you need a loan, just hit up the website, find his email address and um, give him a bell. I'm sure he'll help you out. <laughs> very attractive interest rates. <laughs> attractive to me, that is. Now, um, now Gary's off on the road, riding around on his little push bike down the back there. In fact, I think the um, I think the, the the drag the dragster hand and wheels and the little ribbons coming out of the handlebars are, um, yeah, well, are I, flying. I'm, I'm actually thinking, based on his physique, mm. um, he would probably be riding a mongoose. Yeah, I would think so. Yeah, and it would still look too big for him with the with, with yellow tufts. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> now you would think that uh, you know he's probably you know having to do his own washing and all that sort of stuff, but not our Gary. He's taking one of his servants on the road with him. That's right. Well, well, apparently this this lovely gentleman Grant has has um, has volunteered to uh, to do the washing for these guys. He owns a company called Orange Sky Laundry. And uh, Gary had a bit of a chat to him earlier in the week and filed this report, so um, I guess we should play it. Yeah, let's have a listen. The Mojo Radio Show. Now, Robbo, um, it's day four of the Tour de Cure, and we have rolled into a hotel in Mount Gambier. And what you've got to think about when you're on tour with 180 people, cyclists and support crew, is how much laundry is done every night because we're riding in Lycra every day and the guys are working in their kit, but we need it washed at night. And I am standing with a guy called Grant, and he's from Orange Sky Laundry, and they have offered to do all our washing on tour, and they've been extraordinary. Now, not only is it a great job they're doing, and it's not only is Grant a character... But Orange Sky Laundry has this amazing backstory to what would they do and how they do it. So, Grant, welcome to the Mojo Radio Show, buddy. The Mojo. That's, that's really uh, an interesting name, isn't it? <laughs> I told you he's a character. I, I, I hope it's keeping everyone up at night. <laughs> we hope so. Just to listen to the show, that is. <laughs> now, mate, um, tell me a little bit about the Orange Sky Laundry. What, what does it do primarily? Uh, oh, geez, I'd have to say it puts a smile on people's face. Uh, originally, I got I, I met up with the guys um, on the streets of Brisbane uh, using their service, and I'm a customer. So, uh, so when you say people living on the there people living on the streets, is it for the homeless? There is there is homeless people, and then there's like uh, people that live on the streets. There's uh, like a, a phase where people go through, I suppose, to get into housing and that, and whether they accept the housing or not is a different story again. 
it's uh, it's not a real good situation in Australia with um, uh, the services that are provided. I mean, they're great services, don't get me wrong, and they're always going to be needed somewhere along the line. But uh, just the way that it's viewed is... Uh, it's like, could you imagine, like, uh, putting an office worker in with... Uh, Someone that's got substance abuse and yeah. and all sorts of trauma yeah. associated with it. it it's like, uh, would you accept the room or wouldn't you? And how badly do you need things? And you weigh it all up and you say, well, look, I'll, I'll sit back and I'll, I'll work things myself for a while. I'll fend mm. for myself, you know. But some of the guys, they really, really need it and uh, they'll they'll take the services up on what they are and everything. So, so Orange Sky Laundry goes out, works from the street, and you you yourself are homeless, right? Yes. At one point you were living on the street, yes. and these guys came in, yep. and they do the laundry for the people who are living on the street, is that right? That's correct, and they're all volunteer workers, and they're like gold. Before they came along, it was like you go, they, you go to a breakfast in the morning, you go to food vans and stuff like that, get a cup of coffee and uh, uh, whatever the meals are, usually a barbecue, and there's usually school children mm. associated mm. with that, so they give up their time, and it's much appreciated. Sometimes they get a hard time through whatever the circumstances, people come to the to the, 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 the services, yeah. and um, then Orange Skies roll up, and they're volunteers, they're all uni students, and they're just bright people, and they're just happy to be out there doing something with the service, and I've seen a real noticeable change in uh, people's behaviour. It's like they're getting spoken to, and they're getting uh, conversations that are, you know, bright and interesting, and no one's um, belittling or bratting anyone, it's just does it, does normal sort of things. More than just doing their washing. Does it really... I, I know I was talking to somebody at dinner and they said that they had heard your backstory, knew what you were doing. They were very close to you and they said that it almost brought dignity to people. It gave them a dignity on the streets. Would you Would you agree with that? I, I think everybody carries dignity with them in some sense or form. Uh, when they choose to use it is another thing, you know. Yeah. But... Uh, yeah, I, I think it does. And clean, well, cleanliness is next to God and there's all virtues are with every, in anybody and everybody, yeah, you yeah. know. Whether people choose to use them, whether people don't, that's their own paths in life. Um, I personally feel that cleanliness is next to God in this. Mm, mm. Now, um, how long have you been doing this with Orange Sky Laundry? Um, this... Just, just, um, just since the tour. Just since the tour, okay. Yeah. So and it was you... a baptismal fire. <laughs> basically get in there nutted out on the first night, tweak it up the next night and then we were going to roll with the pattern we got in it. Mm. So me and Demi, uh, beautiful young lady, she's uh, she's uh, putting it into time and effort to do things. Came straight from uni, straight from study, straight from work into a different environment and just still rolling on with it and she's loving it. You know it's amazing Robbo that um, we've pulled up here in this hotel, we're in the car park then Grant's got, he's collecting all these bags of washing to do tonight while we're having dinner. He's got a generator at the back of a truck and he's going to wash 180-odd bags for us for free as another volunteer who's come along. This guy's got the biggest smile on his face. He's a real character. Everyone who comes near him just starts smiling. And, man, I just think what you got, is, is, is Orange Sky Laundry national or is it Brisbane-based? Um, they're trying to go to state to state. It's, um, another perfect example is uh, the Queensland floods up in Rocky and down through the coast and that, through the cyclones. Uh, the boys went up there to help out. As soon as they lobbed, you know, they got into situations where the towns have got no power and water. Yep. So when you got a Jenny and you got your own yep. you know, backup yep. supplies yep. and everything, yep. they were like gold. People mm. loved them, you know. Mm. So you, you imagine dry clothes and mm. you know, clean clothes in a situation mm. like that. It's like, yeah, you got to have it, you know. Can you? Can people get involved? If people want to get involved with, with Orange Sky, you talk about uni students or volunteers. How do they find you guys? Where, where do they go? Um, on the side of the bands, they've got their Twitter address and their um, Facebook account. So Iron Sky Laundry, mobile laundry for the homeless. You can follow them on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and it's at OS Laundry AU. Um, and they've got great support from Richard J. Laundry Matters, the Jelly Family Foundation, LG support these guys, and Symbio. So this is a great project. I was rapt to meet Grant. I'm rapt to hear their story. And I just think that, um, you know, there's somebody out there with a the dream who's gone and said, how do we help these people on the street? Orange Sky Laundry, mate, um, you're doing a sterling job. My, um, what, are you, what, what fabric softener are you using in the laundry? Because it's awfully, um, when I get in the bike in the morning for 188 kilometres, it's awfully comfy. Well, 
if, if <laughs> my armoury and you, I'd say it's cuddly, but we don't use that. It, there is sanitizer, so it's a bit of a special blend. Not that I need sanitizer, Robbo. We we, we had a we had a decent sized bucket when we came down, but we we're already chocked way halfway through that. So they've had a special delivery today, and. Uh, yeah, it's just the boys are amazed at uh, the volume that we're putting through. <laughs> I think we've outdone them in the floods even, you know, so. I think you've done good. All right, Grant from Orange Sky Laundry, thanks for your time on the Mojo Radio Show, right, buddy. Stop, stop smiling, all right? We're not on TV. <laughs> the Mojo Radio Show. So never one to get his dishpanned hands dirty, our Gary. <laughs> Indeed. And he always looks so smart. He does, doesn't he? It's so clean. Yeah. He um he I, I saw some footage of him on Sunrise the other day, but I don't think that the chaps really went with the lycra that he was wearing at the time. Uh no, they wouldn't really, because he's yeah. up there with Mark Beretta. Yes, that's right. Yeah, hobnobbing. Yeah. Yeah, indeed. But he's gotten himself pretty fit over the years. He has. He wasn't always in that sort of shape. No. No, I'm not sure what he's been up to, but um, maybe he, maybe Gary might have some inside information on that when he gets back. I think it's called the Channel 7 Diet. Yes. <laughs> well, are you talking about the food in the canteen? <laughs> I'm talking about the fact they're not allowed to eat. Oh, really? Probably. Yeah, could be. Well, Chris Barth has lost a bit of weight lately too, so I wonder whether that's related. Mm, could be, could mm. be. Speculation, speculation, I love it. Conspiracy. Conspiracy. We should probably get into this week's show. Yeah, now you've got a special guest coming up. Yeah, we do. A mate of mine, actually. So, um, uh-huh. so let's let's get into that. Getting your mojo working. This is the Mojo Radio Show. If you live anywhere north of the New South Wales Victorian border here in Australia, you cannot have not heard of this man. In a career spanning some forty years so far, he's called seventy-seven state of origins, thirty-nine rugby league grand finals. Over 1,400 first-grade rugby league games and three Melbourne Cups, the biggest horse race here in Australia. He's also the official caller for the swimming for the Channel 9 network around Australia and appears regularly on a Saturday afternoon on the Triple M radio network as a part of the Dead Set Legends sports program. I personally have worked with Ray for a number of years now, both at Triple M and Sky Sports Radio, and here's just a small sample of the work that's led him to be dubbed the voice of rugby league. So John's now going wide, finding Daly. They immediately try and get round the Burnham. Bobby Ross is going to make it. Bobby Ross is up there. New South Wales in first set of six. It's got the height. It's got the length. And the crowd goes up. Red Dallas, he gets away. consummate professional, and it gives me great pleasure to welcome Ray Warren to the Mojo Radio Show. Thank you. So, mate, uh, take us back. You started a career as a policeman way back in the day, and after a ton of door knocking and tape sending, you ended up with your first gig in the media. Is that right? Yeah, that's pretty accurate. Um, I had long wanted to be a sports broadcaster since I was six, seven or eight years of age. Um, I put together... Um, a rather amateur a tape recording of work that I could do. And it was only when I joined the police cadets in Sydney in 1960 that I was able to actually take the tape with me and, and go around the radio stations in Sydney, hoping that somebody might give me a hearing. And um, I left the tape with the people at 2GB in particular. Um, 
And six years later, I got a phone call from one of the stations that that particular station owned, uh, 2LF Young, and they said, do you still want to be a sports broadcaster? And I said, absolutely. So I transferred from being in the police force to become a sports commentator at Young. And um, from there, I was only there three years before I came to Sydney, where I was an understudy to Ken Howard and John Tapp and calling horse racing, including trots and, and gallops and then greyhounds and then rugby league. Don't retreat the leader but Flying Heel is whizzing around the outside in search of it and now getting it. Flying Heel by a half length, now a length to Don't retreat which is kicking up to keep him out. So, yeah, I was a... A 17-year-old in the police cadets knocking on doors of radio stations. So obviously I didn't have a great ambition in the police force, but um, the flame to become a sports broadcaster never, ever left me. So you, you had that dream at the age of six. And the thing I like about this story, Rabs, is that coming from Junie having a dream, and I saw you on the footy show talking to Erin and you, you said that the, the greatest piece of advice you give to a young guy or girl was to be a dreamer, but the thing that I, that I love about your story that you talk about in the book is that it wasn't just having the dream, but you actually went out and you actually did the hard work, didn't you? Like you went and knocked on doors, then did the hard yards. So it's, it's dreaming and then taking a step, isn't it? Yeah, it's all very well to dream. Um, in fact, it's healthy to dream mm. of what might uh, be something nice in your mind and uh, I just uh, had been listening on radio um, valve radio which is a big thing like a refrigerator we had no transistor radio so we would listen to the racers and I fell in love with a commentator called Ken Howard and I aspired uh, in my dream to one day become him Mm. but it's no use just uh, sitting back and waiting for a prospective employer to come to you you've got to you've got to go out there and knock on doors but prior to all of that i mean when i was nine eight nine i was rolling marbles down a slope and calling them as horses Uh, (laughs) i'd go down to the local sports oval and try and broadcast into my tape recorder um or just to myself uh, the cricket or the football Um, i'd sit up in trees and do that um and that's how I put my tape together, but that mm. was, as I said, it was a very amateurish thing that I presented, but it, it got me off the tarmac, but that came after only um, walking the streets of Sydney, knocking on doors, and then going through with my police career for six years before the knocking on the doors uh, gave mm. me a harvest mm. and got me started, you know. Can you remember those times with Ken Howard and I was a massive Johnny Tap fan? Can you remember that time and any lessons you took from those guys or, or stories you took from them that have had an impact on your career? Oh, yeah, I think there's many things that both of those gentlemen said to me. You know, I, I was the number three caller. Ken Howard was number one, John Tapp was number two, and I was number three. And I, I wasn't, it turned out in the future, I wasn't to really go down the race calling path, even though it was, it was my first love. Um, eventually, mm. I was going to get diverted to football which I'd done in the initial stages with the radio station at Young. I was primarily employed at Young at 2LF to broadcast football, but my love was to call horse racing. So with Ken Howard, um, he made it clear to me that he didn't want uh, anybody in his commentary box to be a bagger or a critic, if you like, of of jockeys. Um, he, He had theory in life that if you can't say something nice about somebody then say nothing at all and that was pretty much the case back in those days although I don't know that Mr. Nice Guy gets on in the in the current <laughs> environment no. um, John Tapp had more to do I think with the cultivation of me in race calling although it's a very difficult thing to teach somebody how to race call um, I think you've either got it or you haven't got it mm. but uh, between both of them, they taught me how to do a phantom call. In other words, just because you can't see them doesn't mean you can't actually broadcast them <laughs> because uh, whatever the person watching the race and there wasn't, there wasn't any access to double-check a phantom call other than the bloke on the racetrack with a transistor radio. But you've got to understand 
that even he wouldn't know that you were doing a phantom call because he didn't know the colours like mm, you did. Mm, but then mm. again, this story gets crazier. I couldn't see any colours either, neither could John, nor neither could <laughs> Ken, because we were doing a phantom call. In other words, we were simulating a, a, a call. For whatever reason, we couldn't see the horses. Maybe it was a, a rainstorm or thick fog. And we live by the theory, as long as we get first, second, and third across the line accurately, <laughs> then we've survived and we've succeeded in what we did. You know, did you do that with rugby league, Rab? Well, it is. You've got to understand, I, I'm talking about very much in the case of Ken Howard. I'm talking about mm. transistors. I'm not talking about transistors even. I'm talking about electric radios. So people couldn't take their radio to the racetrack and plug it in, you know, and cars didn't have a radio. That's um, right. But... You know, they live by the theory, the old broadcasters, not John, but Ken, you know, what they can't see won't hurt won't them. Hurt him. Yep. Let's just give them some excitement. Let's mm-hmm. give them their entertainment and let's get it right across the line. For a long time, commercial radio, including Ken Howard, they weren't allowed on racetracks, so they broadcast racing from outside mm-hmm. the racetrack. Mm-hmm. So there would have been often a case when he couldn't have seen, for whatever reason, and he would do a phantom, and in one ear he might be listening to the ABC commentator who was the only one allowed inside the racetrack. <laughs> mm, mm. There's a lot of very, very intriguing stories uh, that I can tell you about that, that era of broadcasting. Mm. Uh, I got into media for a lot of those reasons that you're talking about, into radio in particular, because I always loved the, the smoke and mirrors and the creativity of it. Do you, you're still working in, in, in that that area, do, do you see that some of that's starting to disappear from, from the media in particular, or radio in particular, I should say? The smoke and the screen and the coloured lights and the bells and the whistles. Yeah, the colour and the... Yeah, I, I think, yeah, I, I, it depends what branch of radio you're in, you know, mm. and I'm in sports broadcasting, um, yep. and because I'm now working, and I have been for quite some time, in colour television, it, it's it's very hard to tell a lie. You just mm. can't you can't colour it up. No, that's why today on television you you, you can't overcall television because uh, people can see it for themselves mm. and they could all automatically tell if you made a mistake. Mm. Uh, radio still retains a certain amount of that. False entertainment is probably the best way to describe it. Mm. But when you're even doing radio, don't forget that there might be some people watching it on TV who've turned the sound down mm. and they're listening to you mm. on radio. Right. Yeah. And if, if some of the things I've just told you about, all the falsifications of some of the sports <laughs> broadcasts, had people been able to watch them on television, they would have said, well, those blokes are mad. Mm. Not only mad, they, they can't even see the damn things and they're telling us a pack of lies. But mm. As I said, what they can't see didn't hurt them. You've been known to say that when you're calling on television, that part of your philosophy is that less is best. Is it? Do you think that applies to other parts of our world as well and not just the rugby court? Probably. I can't quite think of examples that you're obviously thinking of, but when I say less is best, I'm probably trying to emphasise the people making the transition from radio to television that whereas... In radio, you use a lot of words to describe a situation, whereas in television, you don't need to use as many words. Mm. Richie Benno, the late Richie Benno, he he nailed it every time uh, with just the use of one word normally to describe something quite fantastic. Um, so he had that, that ability just to summarize the eight words in, in one word. Mm. It's not... It's not same sport though. I mean, uh, I admired Richie greatly, but it would be very hard in calling rugby league or calling horse racing to <laughs> summarise in one yeah. word yeah. because yeah. it's just impossible. Just impossible. So mm. it is right to say though, less is best when it comes to television commentary. Yes, that's that's a fair call. As far as the outside world is concerned. Um, <laughs> The world would be better for less alcohol and and less drugs and and less thuggery yeah. and less wars. Um, we we talked at the start about the dream you had as a six year old kid. Um, mm. Tell me what what part did your parents play in helping you achieve your dream? No, oh, that's that's a very good question because, and I'm not giving myself a rap here, but I think a lot of people tend to think 
that people like myself were born with a silver spoon in their mouth, and uh, mm. that's not the case with me, I can assure you. I, I was raised in a very small weatherboard cottage. Um, we shared bedrooms, me and my brother, and there was no no um, hot water. We didn't have a shower. We had a bath. It was an outside dunny. Um, we didn't have a washing machine. We we had a fuel stove, all of these things. I'm just rat, rat, rattling off a few things to you. But mm. at the end of the day, when I started rolling marbles down a slope in the home, mum and dad maybe scratched their head and said, what is this bloke doing? But what they, what they did know was that every Saturday, they, having a gamble on the horses like threepence or sixpence, uh, we were listening in the kitchen. The, the kitchen was the hub of our life and didn't go to the lounge room, wouldn't go to the lounge room unless the people were enemies. That's where we entertained <laughs> our enemies, down in the lounge room. But in the kitchen, we did everything. And one of the main things in the kitchen was not only the fuel stove to warm your bum on, but the the valve radio was up there and Ken Howard was blaring through every Saturday. That was the only day we got races. Mm. And suddenly this kid is rolling marbles down a slope and trying to sound like Ken Howard. And as he gets a little bit older, he wants to get into radio and be and be Ken Howard. Mm. As far as helping him become a race caller, rolling marbles, remembering their names according to colours, and how do we take this kid to the next level, which is to get him into radio, they played no other part than to encourage me by saying that was good or when the family would come together for Christmas... Uh, I think Dad would become the bookmaker and they'd be betting on the result of the marble races. So <laughs> that's the extent of the encouragement that I got. The, the, the poor buggers had no idea how to help me. In yeah. fact, I think at some stage they probably thought, what have we bred here? This is a lunatic, you know. <laughs> Still important encouragement though, Rabs, very important. I oh, know. Well, they never said stop doing that. You're yeah. crazy. Yeah. Um, and, and they died... Um, after I'd got into radio and television and mm. uh, called Melbourne Cups and a few other things. So eventually they uh, they were able to just share a part of uh, the dream yeah. when it had, in fact, become a reality. Yeah. And I'm pretty pleased about that. Mum, mum died in 88 um, and Dad yeah. died in 96. Um, so yeah. they, they knew that I had reached my dream. They knew that yeah. it had become a reality, but... The poor devils, they had no way of of knowing how to help me. Sounds like it was pretty important to you that they saw you succeed, Rabs, is that right? Oh, most important, you know. Yeah, yeah. Most important. Um, one of my, my late sisters who lived in the same town, Jeannie, as my mother and father, she, she said before she died, she said just the, the lovely memories and the thrills that I was able to give them Mm. by reaching my Everest. Um, mm. She was telling me something I didn't know. You've got to understand, I didn't know how much joy, is the word, I was given mum and dad, mm. you know. Mm. With those learnings from that time, Ray, what are you passing on to your own kids now? Well, nothing is handed to you on a platter, Um not not that I know of. I mean, there there is a certain amount of nepotism involved in all walks of life. But if you're no good, you're going to get found out anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but you've got to get out there and do the hard yards as far as I'm concerned. Um, if you want to be anything, you've got to go and do the hard yards. Mm-hmm. If you want to be a doctor, you've got to get a really good HSC mark and then do well through university. If you want to be a jockey, you've got to go on a very strict diet and remain accessible to owners at the weight that you're displaying. Uh, if you want to be a sports commentator, you, you just you just can't front up with your binoculars and think you're going to get a job. So mm. it's a, it's quite simple. It's it's work hard at what you want to be, and if you've got the ability, then and you've got the time and the energy and the desire, then all that together and dreams can come true. Mm. Not all dreams, but some, some dreams come true because I, I am living yeah. proof of that. Yeah, and you've got to remember there's a lot of knocks along the way too, right? Oh, yeah. Look, I've, 
I've had many knockers. I had a television network tell me they didn't want me anymore because I couldn't fly. Um, so right. they replaced me. Um, yeah. yeah. So I had five years on the sidelines, thinking I was never going to get to get back to do what I what I do. Um, yeah. <clears throat> but there's been other lumps and bumps along the way. Um, I've just come through hospital and the removal of my prostate. Um, that that's another hurdle that I had to contend with for the last four years, um, knowing how to manage prostate cancer. So, I mean, again, I I haven't had an easy road, but I wouldn't swap it for anything. I mean, that little weatherboard house at Juni, the parents, the valve radio, um, no shower, just a bath, um, go and cut some timber for the fuel stove, all that sort of stuff. I wouldn't swap that for all the tea and all the tea in China. Yeah, Ray, um, speaking of tea, a couple of things I want. I want to come back to the prostate thing in a second because it's something that's close to my heart. Um, just speaking of tea, can you talk us through the – do you have any rituals or routines that you go through in the hours leading up to, you know, a, a call um, in that you said you can't just turn up with your binocs and – do you have a, like a ritual or a routine you go through? Is there a – Yeah, look, I – I don't know that I do as much research as some commentators. Um, there are some commentators that are absolutely full of statistics. And to be honest with you, I, I think they they bore people. Um, mm. In some cases, they bore people with too many stats. And then there's a lot of other people saying, geez, I thought I knew a bit about this sport, but I obviously don't because this bloke knows everything. You know, in other words... Um, but the only thing I do is I I study the game. If if it if if it's a, a game of rugby league, I study the game. I I jot down some things that I I need to remember for the quieter moments in the telecast. Uh, so I do all that. Um, if if there's a team involved that I haven't seen before, um, I will probably go to training and and watch them train and get to know their faces and. Uh, little bits of equipment that they wear. Um, back in the country when I first started, I was calling football in the Riverina and I would drive to training for, say, West Wylong one night and then the next night I'd drive to Tumut to watch them train yeah. because they were going to play in my weekend radio match, you know. Yeah, so yeah right. There were hours and hours I spent sitting on the sideline in fading light, trying to study faces for the weekend football. Um, horse racing, you can study the colours at home these days by looking mm. at the newspaper, but when they translate to colours on the jockey on race day, they can alter just a little bit. Mm. So calling racing, you've got that time from when the jockeys come out of the room till they mount up in the saddling paddock till they get to the barrier to get all the names in your head. So that's all part of the ritual and the routine, and that's the best answer I can give you. That's an extraordinary skill, Rabs. That has always um, enthralled me with watching horse racing is the way you guys have this ability just to look at a colour and know that that's the jockey and that's the horse that he's riding today. That's always amazed me. That mm. must be a very um, particular skill that you must have. Well, it is, you know, and, and I can't, you know, I, I said to you, I can't teach somebody to call I bet you can't. horse racing. I can't tell somebody mm. how to, to do anything. That's why mum and dad, we talked about mum and dad, they couldn't help me. Mm. But mm. I, it was just in, incredibly ironic that rolling the marbles, and keep in mind when I talk about them, I'm talking about different coloured ones. Mm. Mm. I, I was able, somehow or other, God gave me the, the little piece of good fortune that I was doing exactly and precisely what was going to be good for me mm. later on. I was calling different coloured marbles rolling mm. down a slope. Mm. John Tapp, he painted paddle pop sticks and floated them down stormwater drains. Really? And that they were two methods that young people used to, to basically examine their brain to see yeah. if they could do it. Yeah. And we both finished up in the same broadcasting box, you know. There you go. Synergy. Mm. So it's, it's a photographic memory in part. Mm. But then again, having a photographic memory is okay. You, you also have to be grammatically correct mm. if, you're going, if you're going to last. You know, you can't be saying has instead of have and did instead of done and were mm. instead of was. You've, mm. got to be, 
you've got to be grammatically correct and you've got to have a reasonable voice, I suppose. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, you've got to have a knowledge of the sport. If it's yeah. rugby league, you've got to know the rules. Yeah. You've got to understand the tactics, mm-hmm. um, so on and so on. Uh, Billy Birmingham has said that you have probably the most imitated voice on in the media. And possibly now. Possibly now that applies that, that yeah. Richie's gone. Um, but, yep. yeah, Bill, Bill's, Bill's told me that, <clears throat> um, and that's flattering, but, but, you know, I, I I don't go out onto the street corner and, and ask people to imitate me. They just do it these <laughs> days. And as I said, it's it's humbling, really humbling. And yeah. it's said that in the if you're in the media, media or a celebrity or you're in, you're in the eye of the public, you can be guaranteed there are naysayers. And you've recently had to face cancer. When you're facing or thinking about naysayers, or they come to mind and or you are facing up to something like cancer, how, how have you talked yourself through that? Like what's your internal dialogue with Ray Warren that, that allows you to stay on top of things and keep moving forward? Oh, that's a, that's a broad question. Um, I'll be quite frank with you because I'm, I'm, if you like, I was a part-time hypochondriac and when they told me that I had some cancer in the prostate, I just went absolutely numb and I, I trembled. Mm. I cried. Um, then I found doctors that were prepared to leave me under surveillance uh, until such time as the cancer became, um, until the cancer, it was necessary to take it out. So they settled me down enormously and I got through four years of life doing exactly what I do, which is calling. It never distracted me. And then in November they found that it, it had um, it had spread a bit inside the prostate, so the the message went out that I had to have the thing out. Mm. So I go and do that. Um, I'm ready for that. I, I I made myself aware of the operation of the prostate and having it out and all that sort of thing. <clears throat> and then I I came back to work uh, six weeks after the operation and. I sat there on the first night of the competition in 2015 with a catheter and a bag, draining the bladder. Um, I'm still sitting there um, calling the football with, with a napkin on because mm-hmm. um, catheter's gone and um, I'm just suffering a bit of incontinence now. So um, it's amazing how strong the mind can be, I think. Um, mm-hmm. when, when, when you need it to be strong, uh, and I need it to be strong because it's impossible to call football or call any sport if you're worried sick about about your health, you know. Mm-hmm. And the fact that you're sitting there in a napkin reminds, it, you, reminds you that you've been somewhere that something pretty big happened to you. Um, I don't know whether that answers your question or not, but it's... it's well, it, it it does. I, I don't think there is any right or wrong answer to it. I, I, I think it's people hearing. I mean, 300 Australians today heard the news they've got cancer. It'll be 300 more tomorrow, 300 yesterday. And they, they would be, you know, it, it, it must take an enormous amount of mental strength to get through that. Do you think you draw some strength from your upbringing? I think so. Um, mind you, I've, I've got to be honest with you, I don't recall mum and dad ever having a, a day in hospital. Mm. Um, and dad died at 91 and mum died at 83. Um, mm. <laughs> but, you know, I tried to describe to you things in my upbringing, you know, mm. we, we were, we were tough. I, I think that's the word we were, yep. we led a tough life and we weren't bashed up and all that sort of stuff, but it was a tough life. Mm. We didn't have any modern cons. We never even owned them. We didn't own a motor car until Dad retired when he was 65. It was all mm. walk down to the shops or ride your bike. Mm. Um, we didn't have television just because it came out in 56. We didn't have television for about 10 years. And that's not a bad story either. I used to walk down and look at the TV in the shop at Junee, the shop, singular, that were selling TVs and they'd leave some of them on uh, in the window night and day and I'd stand there and try and call whatever sport might be on the television in black and white. Yeah. Uh, and that wasn't easy unless it was Arthur Ashe playing, playing John Newcomb or something. You've, you've always been a dreamer and 
the, the, the numbers I saw where you've done 77 state of origins, 39 grand finals, be over 1,400 first grade games now, and you've called three Melbourne Cups. I mean, you've, you're at the top of, top of the game in anyone's language. At your age with what you've just been through with facing cancer, um, beautiful family, upbringing and so on, is Ray Warren still dreaming? Um, I, I still many times think that I'm that kid, that six-year-old, seven-year-old kid rolling the marbles. You know, I, I, you mustn't tell anybody this, but I'd go to work for nothing if I if I had to, <laughs> because it's still me. It's still me rolling the marbles. Really, I'm still yeah. playing. It, it's playtime for me. When I'd go home from school, with that strange little game that I'm talking about, the marbles. I I wasn't like other kids. They they'd go and uh, you know hit the cricket ball or kick the football or play golf or go to the swimming pool. Nine times out of ten, I would be rolling marbles. Mm. So it was a game that I loved playing. And then I got to do it fair income, and then I got I started getting paid for it. Mm. And and now I'm still in many ways I'm not dreaming anymore, but I still. And, and playing, and I'm still thinking of new things mm. to say and mm. how to get better, all mm. that sort of stuff. Mm. And I guess at my age, you shouldn't be thinking about how do you get better because that is dreaming. Mm. <laughs> but I'm not dreaming of getting any better. I just, I, I'm, all I'm doing now is trying to keep up with everything around me that's absolutely new. I mean, mm. computerization, all of that, it's made things very difficult for me. Um, mm. London Olympics surrounded by probably a hundred other countries and their commentators and they're all working on laptops and I had done all my research and written it down with my own handwriting and I took three books of research with me every day to the swimming while everybody else had a laptop and they'd type in the word Smith or Phelps or something and there's a complete bio on the bloke. Mm. I'd have to go down to the P's in my book and turn it open to the P's and then look for <laughs> Phelps Michael, you know. Yeah. Mm. So it's very difficult for me to keep up. So yeah. it requires more work. Mate, without mm. pissing in your pocket, I um I couldn't watch the swimming unless you were actually calling it because otherwise, you know, it's just not the same. It's the same as the footy. You know? It, well that's yeah, that's that's a nice thing to say, you know. Um it reminds me really of a, a friend of mine that I took him and his wife and kids to the swimming one night. Mm. And they had become besotted by the swimming that mm. Channel 9 was serving up mm. in prime time. Mm. Um, they loved it. Yeah. And they yeah. got used to watching it on TV. They got used to me. So I said, well, would you like to come one night? So they came with me. Mm. And on the way home, I said, what was that like? And they said, well, we couldn't hear you. Right. I said, <laughs> well, I said, that's because I only do it on television. Yeah. And... Then he said, where was the red line? <laughs> and I said, what do you mean? He said, where was the world record line on the pool? I said, no, 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 no. It's, that's, that's, that's superimposed in television. Yeah. Yeah, so you've reminded me of that story. Yeah. Mate, um, just quickly, you, you obviously still love what you do. Um, and and are, in, and are enjoying it. If you, but before a big game, for before a state of origin or a, or a test, or you know, calling a Melbourne Cup, do you still get butterflies? Oh yeah, very much so. Um, I, I probably get a bit nervous anyway. Doesn't matter how big or small the occasion is. You know, mm. I mm. I'm very very much aware of how good how good this career has been to me. Mm. Uh, how how gracious um, God has been in, in in delivering me a job that that I dreamt of one day doing, um, mm. and I think I've I've made a fair job of it, and I've I've got a nice reputation I think mm. uh, as a legacy. What I'm working on now is not damaging whatever I've done. I don't want to damage mm. it by mm. making a complete fool of myself. That's mm. Yeah, That's the answer to your question. So the answer is yes. I, I, I am a bit more. I'm a bit more nervy now, whether the game is small or yeah, big. Yeah, I don't think there's any chance of you destroying your reputation, mate. You're, uh, you certainly well, well out you, there, buddy. You, you, you tend to get to that that stage where you you become a you become a, a Santa Claus type person, mm, you know. But mm. 
but then I'd hate to think that people start booing Santa Claus. That's what I'm worried about. Ray, with your background um, and the story you've shared in the book and the story you've shared with us on the show today, if you were thinking of a player that you believe represented kind of all you've been through, that through having a dream of what they wanted to achieve, hard work, determination, self-belief that's made it, is there a, is there a player that you think represents those same attributes that you've witnessed and called? Oh, that's a very hard question without notice. Um, you know, I, no, I, I, I don't think I know a player that well that has, you know, come through a life like I've come through because mm. maybe Laurie Daly. And why mm. did I jump onto Laurie Daly? Because he comes from the same town as me. I know the upbringing that Laurie had. His father and my father were quite good friends. Um, his father was a guard on the railway. Laurie was a, one of many kids. They they lived a humble life, and he got to be um, a, a first grade footballer of great note. So I, uh, now that I've had time to think, I probably would I would say Laurie Daly. Yeah. He, he coaches New South Wales. He's played for Australia. He's won grand finals. He's won Origin. So, yeah, Laurie Dale is an example that I, I should have thought of immediately because we come mm. from the same town. Mm. Um, Ray, how do you stay impartial? Like, I'm a Queenslander, and regardless of what room I'm in, I try and be a good sportsman except win or loss. But if we lose, I get a sinking feeling in my guts. Yeah. Being a good Queenslander. How do you, coming from Juni, having blue, blue blood born into it, how do you, how do you stay impartial? Because I, I, after all the years I've watched and listened to you, I could not put money on your team, your favourite team, the club you most resonate with. Like you, you seem to be completely impartial. How do you manage that? That's a, that's a very good question and it, it makes me feel great that you, um, that you haven't been able to pick it up because there's nothing to pick up. But I can assure you, north of the border, there is a chorus of people up there, ill-advised people that, that think I'm a biased New South Wales commentator. <laughs> uh, that that is just absolutely a joke. Um, yeah. I, I get irate when they when they use when they say things to me about it. I get irate because I am impartial. I don't care. Um, I am a lover of the game. Mm. I, I don't have a club that I follow. I don't have a state that I follow. For eight years, I rejoiced as Queensland uh, scored all those victories in State of Origin. They always presented a champion team, which I found most exciting to broadcast. Mm, mm. Um, New South Wales have provided me with lesser uh, opportunities, I suppose, to rejoice at, at, at the wonderment of what they were doing. So I... I I, the only way I can answer your question is I, I can remain impartial because I don't have a vested interest. I don't, mm. I don't think about coming from Juneau, so therefore I should be excited mm. about the Blues winning. I might get excited sometimes about the underdog winning, yep. but I would have thought that was something everybody has a piece of. Yeah, yes. I think you're right there, Rabs. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I think if I ever show any bias, it, it's because the underdogs are doing the impossible, you know. You're rejoicing because it's just a great story as opposed that's to right. being a particular that's, that's team. That's yeah. why we still talk about David and Goliath, you know. Mm, mm, mm. That, that's the essence of David and Goliath. Mm. The underdog wins. Mm. Absolutely. Ray, I'm going to say uh, a bunch of words to you one at a time. Mm. I would like to hear, I'm just curious as to whether a player or coach comes to mind immediately when I say the word. If player no one is player or coach, player, player or coach, yeah. Okay. So when you think of the word tough, who do you see? I probably remember Jeff Toovey. He needs to be tough at the moment, doesn't he? <laughs> yes, he <laughs> does, and that's why that's why he'll come out the other side. But yeah, pound for pound, he was probably the toughest player I've seen. Mm. When you think of a great step, probably Freddie Fittler. When you hear the word tenacious. Mm. Again, a good question. I, I probably more modern day. I think of Sam Burgess. Um, back in time, a little bit Trevor Gilmeister. Oh, right. Uh, what about creative? 
as in a creative player who could create something out of nothing? Oh, there's, there's several answers to this question. Um, Lewis, Johns, Marshall, Thurston. Mm. Um, that, that should do you. Yep. Mm. Who's the most disciplined player or coach? What, who comes to mind when you think of the word disciplined? Probably Wayne Pearce. Mm. Probably Wayne Pearce. Um, uh, he reminded me a bit of, he reminded me of once I roomed, or I didn't room, I was adjacently roomed to Des Renford and the diet that he was on uh, <laughs> was was quite mind-boggling. And Wayne, of course, he wasn't necessarily the most gifted footballer, but my God, he, he was gifted with stamina that came from the way he looked after himself. Great story. Mm. Um, Ray, just before we um, let you know, because I know you're on a time constraint today, when you think about the national scene dozens and dozens, the best national anthem that comes to mind that brought a tingle to your spine and, and, and pride when who, who would have sang it on what occasion? It's a, it's, a, it's a lovely question to ask me because I, I, love, I love some anthems. So my, mm. my answer is going to be plural. Um, but I, I love the New Zealand anthem, God Defend New Zealand. I really love that. Um, mm. I love the French anthem, the Marseillais. I love the American anthem. That just gives me goosebumps, uh, the Stars and Stripes. Mm. Um, I, think, I think that's about it. Um, the Australian mm. anthem's good, but it it doesn't evoke in me this this same feeling as as I get when I hear the French Marseillaise or the American Stars and Stripes or mm. the New Zealand God Defend God God Defend New Zealand. Has anyone ever sang our anthem, Rabs? That sort of that did move you, that did get you? No, I I, <laughs> I guess I'm showing my age here. Julie Anthony, I always yeah. thought was the best. Yeah. Um, more recently, there's there's a there's a kid called Vincent that does a brilliant job on it as well. All right. Um, but it, you know, I, I love test matches when you have the the rendition of the Australian national anthem and the New Zealand anthem or uh, England. Uh, well, they uh, when they're playing as Great Britain, I, I think they have an array of, of anthems. Mm. But um, Far too many for me to even mm. remember them. But no, the mm. ones that grabbed me, I've listed America, France, and New Zealand. Yeah, it's funny how um, it's it, it, the the national anthem is you know resonates even with the younger kids. Rabs, I I coach the my son's under twelve rugby union team. Yeah, do they, do they sing the anthem? Well, we they? went on a tour last year to New Zealand uh, for for ten days, and they played three games against some New Zealand teams, and we did the national anthems before each games. And I can honestly say that I've never seen my 20 kids stand up so straight, even in a line-out, mm. <laughs> than they did for the national anthem when it played. It was just, it was inspiring to watch. And it's nice to know that, it, you know, it, although as I totally agree with you, it's not the world's greatest national anthem, but it still resonates with, with kids mm. that age. I, I, that was what I took out of that anyway. I loved it. Yep, I do too. I do too. Um, in fact, this um, Anzac Day, Anzac Day, they... They actually sang the Australian and New Zealand anthem, and I, I've stopped to think mm. why haven't they done that before? Um, mm. Because we went to war together, and I'm talking about Anzac Day. I'm not talking about a test match between Australia mm. and New Zealand. I'm talking mm. about two Sydney football clubs getting together, St George Illawarra and and the Roosters, and they're going to sing both anthems. So that. That'll give you a dateline on when this, this interview was recorded, I suppose. Yes. Mm. <laughs> yeah, That's okay. You, We're not shy, Rabs. <laughs> We're not shy about that sort of stuff. <laughs> okay. Ray, we'll let you, um, let you get on with your day, mate. The, uh, the book we've been talking about is called The Voice. It's Ray's story with Andrew Webster. Um, so it's fair to say, um, Ray, that if people buy the book, they're going to get more background of the stuff we've talked about now, isn't it? That, that, that's kind of what the book's about? Absolutely. Yeah, your yeah. Story? No, absolutely. But I, I probably have I've gone probably a little bit more in-depth with you than, uh, than I have in the book um, on some of the subjects that you're talking about. Yes, um, I'm quite confident there's a couple of things that I've said here that are much more profound than they are in the book, which, by the way, um, has made the final three, I think it is, uh, for 
non-fiction uh, non, non book of the year, which is wow. quite, quite, quite incredible, considering yeah. that it was a story about a little kid from June written by um, another young kid from the country, from Urunga, Andrew mm. Webster, um, mm. and it's, it's, it's up in the finals um, at a function in three weeks' time. Well, Rabs, I think um, that probably says a lot for how well you resonate with, with the general public, mate, because as I said, I, I sort of come from the other side of the rugby bridge, from the rugby union side, but I can tell you now there's certainly a lot of respect for you and your talents, you know, even though there's not a lot of league people involved there. Oh, that's, that's lovely. It's lovely to hear that because um, it sort of makes all of those crazy things that I told you about sitting up in gum trees and standing yes. at the front of a television <laughs> shop and rolling marbles, it makes me think maybe I'm not stupid. In fact, it wasn't uh, It wasn't a bad thing, the, the thing that I was trying to achieve, you know. Now, listen, mate, I do have one more question for you. What's yep. the chances of us seeing you down at Pennant Hills Oval to call the under-12s one weekend? <laughs> I, I, would say, I would say quite remote. Yeah, I would say quite up, remote. Turn it up. Uh, but anyway, at least I, I, I know what it is like sitting on the sideline at a card table because that's what I did for many, many years yeah. alongside Frank Hyde and Tiger Black and John wow, O'Reilly. Yeah. That's what we did. We sat at a card table and, and I... I Remember sitting in gum trees at GNE trying to call. I don't know whether they're under twelves, but I think they were. They were pretty young. What was the classic? Was it a rugby league game that was that was so chockers that they were sitting on the roof of the stand somewhere or something? Was that? Do you, do you recall that, Rabs? Was that a rugby league game? I yeah, the the, the uh, I think it was the sixty. 65 grand final, I think that got 78,000 and they were grabbing whatever vantage points they could grab. Yeah. Um, or did I see Leichhardt, you calling... Leichhardt, I saw Leichhardt Oval packed beyond its safe measures for, I think, an Amco Cup final. Um, mm, mm, yeah. Mm. Rabbits, it's been a pleasure having you on board, mate. No, no, I'm, I'm fascinated as to what, you, what you're actually doing, but anyway... <laughs> One day I'll be able to have a look at it or make a button. I'll listen to it, I should say. We will be sending it your way when it's done, mate. Rabs, this has been um, this has been a real highlight. Yeah, it was good fun. Okay, bye. Thanks, Rabs. The Cheers, Mojo Radio Show. There you go, mate. Probably not a big name down your way, but um, as we discussed during the interview, I'm sure you guys, uh, you Melbourneites and Adelaideites, would have heard him on, uh, on the Channel 9 Swimming when that's on. Yep, of course. We do get rugby in uh, in in Melbourne. You get we, the storm. Do you get rap calling that? Uh, I don't know. Actually, I must check mm. it out. I, I I don't watch a lot of rugby on television. I must right. admit. You need your head. Uh, if it's rugby union and it's yeah. international, I'll give it a go. But um, yeah, you know. So um so anyway, just before we wrap up the show, I, I had something that we should probably talk about because it's a it's a an issue that's close to my heart, and that's coffee. <laughs> yeah, we all love coffee. I love coffee. Some good ones down in uh, my neck of the woods. There's uh, in Geelong. There's a company that I think a roaster that has mm. won coffee, the coffee, best coffee in Australia or something. Wow! Which is Cartel. I don't know whether right. you've heard of Cartel. No. There's no. another that they're based in Geelong. Yep. And another one based, I think, in Geelong is called Casper. Wow! So are they yeah. friendly? Yeah, they are. <laughs> they're, they're pretty good cats, man. Cool. Nothing like a good coffee, unless perhaps if you buy it from KFC. Well, therein lies the problem to start <laughs> with. KFC have just announced that they are introducing a Scoffee Cup. What do you think right. that might be? Any guesses? Yep. Uh, don't know. It sounds like... <laughs> Edible underpants to me. Well, but, it is uh, edible, but it's an edible coffee cup. It's made out of a biscuit. Great. So, yeah. That's good. That's <laughs> yeah, a really good idea. If you feel like you need that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> to, can they turn it the whole thing into a smoothie? Yeah, yeah. Well, perhaps it's um, it's apparently uh, a new marketing ploy. Um, well, I didn't even know KFC did coffee, so I presume that that's also going to be new. Yeah. Um, well, I think you're still you're still probably pulling the chain a bit there. KFC and coffee. Probably yeah. not a good combination. Pretty no, I wouldn't have thought so. McDonald's and coffee. Yeah. So anyway, this thing is uh, a cup-shaped cookie that's coated in white chocolate and sugar. Nice. <laughs> now you're talking. See, it's a healthy alternative, really. It is, absolutely. Like, have you ever tried to eat a waxed paper cup? They're no. Really bad for I you. Really bad for I you. would want to. No. Yeah. So apparently what happens is the friendly KFC, this is quoting their website, the friendly KFC employee pours the coffee into the cup 
and it slowly softens as you sip. <laughs> Doesn't that sound inviting? Yeah. <laughs> it's not the kind of thing you, you take it through a drive through or put it in the car, particularly. No, no. You know? I have a feeling that this um, this idea came from the same person that, that came up with the Woolworths Anzac Day campaign. <laughs> yeah, that worked. <laughs> yeah, that went really well. Well, it got plenty of publicity. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, it's so a, the sort of publicity you want, though. I'm not sure on that one. Well, it was an Oscar Wilde moment when any publicity is good publicity. Yeah. But uh, I yeah, don't I'm still not sure agree about that. with that, uh, no. that but anyway. concept of young Oscar. So there you go, folks. Next time you're uh, you're out and about, stop by your local KFC for a nice hot cup of coffee with lots of extra chocolate and sugar. Lovely. Mm. Oh. Mate, uh, I reckon that makes up a show for this week. Well, if that's what you call it, yeah, I'm sure it does. So now you know why we get paid the big bucks. We work so hard doing this thing. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it, look, it was big shoes to fill, mm. um, but Ronald McDonald was uh, off doing other things. But anyway... And- <laughs> Ronald McDonald's back next week. Yeah. <laughs> and Hamburger will be in tow. In, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Mate, thanks for your time, and uh, we we'll look forward to hearing some more of you on the telly real soon. Lovely. And uh, we'll catch up very, very soon. Cheers, man. See ya. The Mojo Radio Show is produced and recorded in the studios of Voodoo Sound. For more tips and tools to get your mojo working, check us out on Facebook at The Mojo Radio Show or online at themojoradioshow.com. For more about Gary, see garybertwhistle.com or to polish your next audio or video production, check out voodoosound.com.au and for the right voice, realtimecasting.com. Andrew Peters speaking. See you next time.